0: The following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, visit BroadwayChurch.com. All right, folks, let's pick it up then in um, Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Today's passage is the first time that Mark introduces a lengthy portion of what Jesus actually taught. Um, Mark's a very action oriented book, and he doesn't do a lot of Jesus' actual teaching, but today is the first time he really gives us a lengthy chunk. So he gives us a glimpse into Jesus teaching ministry. Mark 1 or four, read verse one. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake, be the Sea of Galilee. The crowd gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. So, the crowds were so large that he had to distance himself from them by teaching from this boat. And I just gave you that little tidbit there. Interestingly enough, the word for shore is the same word used for soil in the, first, in the next parable we're about to read. Verse 2, it says, uh, He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said... So, he taught many things by parable. Parables, as your outline says literally means to cast alongside to cast alongside That's literally what parable means so to toss alongside para means beside and bole to, to cast beside or to place to place or to cast so to, to cast alongside so What is a parable? We often talk about parables. What's a parable? First, let me, before we fill in your blanks, let me tell you what a parable is not. A parable is not a fable. A fable typically uses talking animals and talking trees and talking inanimate objects and chairs and things. Parables are not fables. Parables use human characters in real life situations. Okay? So, what then is a parable? As your outline says, a parable is a teaching aid. It's a teaching aid. It's a story that is cast alongside or placed beside a truth in order to creatively and memorably illustrate that truth. It's the next blank. So it's a teaching aid used to illustrate a truth. So you you have this truth and you cast beside it this story as a teaching aid as a way of illustrating the truth that you're putting it beside. Okay. Jesus wasn't the first to use parables, certainly, but he turned parables into an art form. The old saying is, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, is how I remember it being said years ago. So, why did Jesus use parables? This can be a little bit confusing on the surface. As we're about to learn, Jesus used parables for two reasons. First of all, as your outline says, to reveal truth to those who are seeking, and to conceal truth from those who are hard-hearted. So, parables do two things. They reveal and they conceal. Okay? Let's read verses 9 to 12. We're going to skip down a bit, verses 9 to 12. Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. Why? So that, and then he quotes Isaiah, So that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. So why would Jesus want to conceal truth from people? Now notice that Jesus quotes Isaiah 6, verses 9 to 10 in his explanation on parables. So what's going on in Isaiah 6? Well, to understand that, you've got to go to Isaiah 5. Let me read from Isaiah 5, starting at verse 1 uh, to 7. Isaiah 5. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. This is talking about God. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a winepress as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. He's talking about Israel. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard and that than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I'll tell you what I'm gonna do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I'll break down its walls, it will be trampled. I'll make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice but saw bloodshed for righteousness and heard cries of distress. So God has pursued rebellious Israel, But they've hardened themselves against him. So God's patience with Israel has come to an end. He's now pronouncing and bringing judgment upon them. So God calls and sends Israel a prophet Isaiah. Let's read Isaiah's call in Isaiah 6 verses 1 to 13 where Jesus pulls a quote. In the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah wrote, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, two they covered their feet, two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who? will go for us and i said here am i send me and he said okay go and tell this people now these are the people who have rejected him the vineyard he talked about in isaiah 5 god said go and tell this people be ever hearing but never understanding that's what you're doing you're always hearing my words but you're never taking my words to heart be ever seeing but never perceiving So make the heart of this people calloused. Well, it's already calloused, but he's saying what you're going to do is your teaching and preaching is going to even harden them all the more than they've hardened themselves. Make their ears dull and then close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and then turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined with without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Okay, so God will speak to them through the words of Isaiah. In other words, back in Isaiah, God says, Isaiah, I'm going to speak to Israel through you. Their ears are going to hear your words, but their hearts will not receive your words. And their refusal to receive your words will increase their guilt. Some are going to hear you, but only a few. And that once mighty tree of Israel is going to just be a mere stump. So Isaiah's preaching will weed out true Israel from rebellious Israel. Their reactions will reveal the state of their hearts. And by quoting Isaiah 6, Jesus seems to be saying that parables function in a similar way to Isaiah's preaching. Jesus' choice to teach using parables is the result of Israel's hardened hearts. By teaching with parables, Jesus weeds out the sincere seekers from the hardened rebels. So as your outline says, Jesus' quotation of Isaiah 6 appears to be saying this, parables are like water to both soft and and hardened hearts, hardened soil, I should say. So parables are like water to both soft soil and hardened soil. It's not the parable, but the state of the recipient that divides people. It's not the parable, it's not the water, it's the state of the recipient, it's the state of the soil that makes the difference, that divides people into haves and have-nots. So how can you tell the haves from the have-nots? Using Jesus' term in verse 11, how can you tell the outsiders from the insiders? You can tell the insiders because they're the ones who pursue Jesus. It's not that insiders know anything more than outsiders do. They don't. That's why insiders have to go to Jesus for more info. The difference is the insiders are not satisfied with their ignorance, and they have a desire and a hunger to know more. So those outside are hardened in their ignorance, and they don't want to know more. It's like the the unforgivable sin. These folks, they don't want to know. They're not outside because they have thick skulls. They're outside because they have hard hearts. It's not a comprehension problem. It's a heart problem. And so what parables do is, parables meet both the insiders and outsiders where they're at. It occurred to me this way. This might be a dumb illustration, but this is how my mind works. Parables function like allergy tests. Okay, If you have a a peanut allergy, so you have a high sensitivity to peanuts, so you're going to have a reaction. If you have no sensitivity to peanuts, then you will have no reaction. Insiders are like people with allergies to peanuts. They react to Jesus' parables. Outsiders hear the same teaching that the insiders heard and they have no reaction whatsoever. The parable reveals the insiders from the outsiders. Same parable, two different crowds, the reaction reveals the state of their hearts. People who are inside, they want to know more. Outsiders, they don't care. They don't want to pursue Jesus anymore. They, oh, that's a stupid story. So, with that in mind, read again Mark chapter uh, four, verses nine to twelve. The 12th said, you know, what's with the parables? And he said, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, just like Israel, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. That last line is is irony. It's almost sarcasm. Otherwise, if they hear and understand, they'll turn and be forgiven. But they don't want to hear. They don't want to understand. They don't want to be forgiven. How does one interpret a parable? As your outline says, interpreting a parable uh, requires three things. First of all, you have to determine the scope of the truth. Determine the scope of the truth that's being presented. In other words, what truth is the parable being placed beside? Remember, a parable means to cast alongside a truth. So it's illustrating a truth. So to interpret a parable properly, what's the truth that it's being put beside? What's it illustrating? You know, you don't just a preacher doesn't just stand up and use a bunch of illustrations. You present a truth and then you illustrate it with a story. Well, what's the truth that's being presented? That gives you a good sense of the meaning of the parable. Secondly, you have to distinguish what is essential from what's merely ornamental. So, what's what's essential from what's merely ornamental? Meaning. What part of the story is crucial and what part is just to add flavor to the story? What's crucial and what's just merely there to color? Here's what you've got to be careful when it comes to parables. Be careful of the danger of hyper-allegorization. What does that mean? To allegorize means where everything is symbolic of something else. That's an allegory. Everything symbolizes something else. Augustine, who has a great mind, uh, but he... he he would over-allegorize things. For example, the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus told about the, the, the guys guy the, the, comes along the road and he sees a, a guy on the side of the road all beaten up, and the Samaritan comes and helps him. He, he, uh, he Robbers had come and beaten this guy up, and so he binds his wounds, he gives him oil and wine, and he puts him on his animal, takes him to an inn, and the innkeeper looks after him, and he gives him two denarii uh, of, of money to look after him. Augustine, St. Augustine, looked at that parable and he hyperallegorized it. He said, the wounded man represents Adam. The robbers represent the devil and the demons. The binding of the wounds represents the restraint of sin. The oil and the wine represent comfort of hope and the encouragement to work. The Samaritan's animal that the man was put on, that represents the incarnation of Christ. Um, the inn is the church. The innkeeper is the Apostle Paul. And the two denarii he gave to look after him was the two commandments to love. Love Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Whoa! <laughs> but there's a lot of people who do that with parables. It's all this giant allegory. Okay. Here's a good rule of thumb. This isn't on your outline. It's for free. You can put it somewhere. All allegorical elements should relate directly to the original context of the original audience. Meaning, if the people who heard that story back in the first century if they wouldn't understand the allegory, then that's not what Jesus meant. They didn't know who the Apostle Paul was. So they're not saying, oh, yes, okay, the innkeeper, that would be the Apostle Paul, who's not yet an apostle. You know, so that's a good rule of thumb. Only what would be understood by the original audience should be applied here. Okay, thirdly, third key, would be to compare Scripture with Scripture. Compare Scripture with Scripture. In other words, Jesus' parables never contradict the rest of God's Word. So you can't make a parable say something that Scripture doesn't say elsewhere. By the way, before we move on, what does Jesus mean when he says, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you? That word secret, or some versions translate it mystery, in in the New Testament, that word means something that was once hidden, but has now been revealed. It's something that can only be communicated by divine revelation. But it's revealed to all who are open to the truth. It's revealed to all who pursue truth. It's revealed to all who listen to the truth. In this context, it appears the secret refers to the kingdom of God coming in the veiled form of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He's, Jesus is saying, that's being revealed to you. To them, it's not revealed because they don't really want to know. You come to me and afterwards and ask questions. They don't. Okay, let's pick it up in verse 3. Listen, Jesus said. A farmer went out to sow his seed. Now, let's stop there for a second. That word listen, as your outline says, this is the key word. It's used, I had 12 on your outline. Actually, I counted a 13th. There's 13 times in the next 30 verses that that word listen is used. Akuo. That's where we get our word acoustics. Akuo. So this is a key theme in the next little while. Listen, listen, listen. 13 times Jesus uses this word. Okay? Um, it's, it's the, it literally it means to hear or to listen, as your outline says. It literally means to hear, to listen. That's what it literally means. But it's more than just way, sound waves hitting your eardrums. Figuratively, as your outline says, it means to hear God's voice in a way that produces faith. To hear God's voice in a way that produces faith. So it's to hear with an open heart. To hear and then to apply in your spirit what you're hearing. Okay? Um, for example, skip down to verse 12 there again. We just read it where Jesus quotes Isaiah. That phrase, ever hearing but never understanding. The word hearing and understanding are both the same Greek word, "akouo." So it can mean hear, literally hear, but it also means to hear and to understand what you're hearing. Okay? All right. So let's uh, read verses 3 to 9. Jesus tells the parable. He says, As, so he says, listen. So listen carefully, but listen in a way that you're going to understand. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up and the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they didn't hear a bare grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So then they come to Jesus afterwards, as we just read a few moments ago, and they say, well, what do you mean by that parable? So let's pick it up in verse 13 to 20 where he explains. Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? He says, if you don't get this one, you're not going to get any of them. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word. So you keep hearing the word here. Hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among the thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth... And the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on g- good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times that was sown. So, it's the parable of the soils that your outline says. First of all, the next blank. This parable focuses not upon the sower, not upon the sower, S-O-W, not S-E-W, Not sowing, stitching and sowing, but sowing seed. Not upon the sower or the seeds. So it's not upon the sower or the seeds, but upon the soils. Upon the soils. And what makes the soils good and bad. Okay? So we often hear it's the parable of the seeds or something. It's actually not. The seeds stay the same throughout the whole thing. The only thing that changes in this parable is the soil. It's the parable of the soils. The seeds stay the same. Now remember the immediate context here. The blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. His own family rejecting him. The various responses to his ministries. And so Jesus is teaching. You know, I'm going to preach this word all over the place and there's going to be all sorts of responses. It's one's response to the word of God that's being studied here. The next blank. The soil along the path. That's where Satan seeks to interfere with these hearers. Satan seeks to interfere with these hearers. Secondly, the thinly soiled rocky ground, that's where troubles overwhelm these hearers. Troubles overwhelm them. Jesus seems to be describing a thin layer of topsoil over bedrock. and So the roots are prevented from actually going deep. So they're susceptible to heat and they wither in the sun. These people are like flares. When first lit with the truth, they look real bright and then they quickly fizzle out. Okay, they soon extinguish. Thirdly, the thorn covered soil. The first three blanks here Jesus teaches that worries, wealth, and desires. Worries, wealth, and desires. Uh, overtake these hearers. Thorns are commonly portrayed as impediments in Scripture. We just read that in Isaiah a few moments ago. Okay, And so a classic example is Herod coming up in Mark chapter 6. It said, Herod used to love to hear John the Baptist preach. Uh, So why didn't it take root? Well, other stuff came in and overtook you know the rich young ruler coming up in mark chapter 10 another example of where he heard the truth and Jesus presented the truth but the scripture says because he had great wealth he walked away sad okay classic example of the thorn covered soil and then fourthly the good soil these hearers receive accept and reproduce the truth receive they accept and reproduce Uh, the truth it 's an interesting contrast between the stages of growth uh, and the first three, for example, he's, he says in these last one that the, the seed sprouts versus the first group the, the the soil along the path where the birds eat it, but this one the seed sprouts, and then it says they grow up versus the second group where the sprout withers, and then he says it yields versus the third group, which grows up but is choked by the thorns it 's like I don't know if he did that on purpose, but he, it fits together perfectly. All right, let's keep reading. We're at verse 21 now. He tells another parable. So that's the parable of the soils. Um, then, verse 21 to 25, the parable of the lamp on the stand. He, he said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is, the implication is, no, you don't. Instead, don't you put it on its stand? Yeah. For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever doesn't have, even what they have will be taken from them. What's he saying here? Oh, By the way, that lamp... Uh, The word used here is, is the word for a small clay lamp that would be filled with olive oil to light up a room. So it's just a small clay lamp. They find all sorts of them in archaeological digs. And they fill them with olive oil and they light up a room. The word for bowl isn't just a little cereal bowl. It's the word for a larger clay vessel that was used to measure grain. It would hold just about a little over two gallons of grain. Okay, or 8.75 liters. Um, That's why some translations here call it, instead of a bowl, a bushel basket, or others, a measuring bowl. Okay, so he's saying you don't put a a, a little cereal bowl over a lamp. No, it's this big two-gallon clay pot that you'd put grain in. He says you wouldn't do that, or put it under a bed, and the word there is a word for an actual bed or a recliner for lounging. And then Jesus says... If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear. Again, remember the context with parables and everything. He's saying, catch the full meaning. Okay, As your outline says, God's kingdom is being revealed to those who are seeking it. Okay, God's kingdom is being revealed to those who are seeking it. That's what he's teaching here. In verse 24, Jesus is quoting a marketplace proverb that had to do with a vendor's measuring scales, where he said there, consider carefully what you hear. With the measure you used, it will be measured to you and even more. He's quoting a proverb there. Um, essentially, he's saying, uh, your integrity is as good as your measuring scales, is what the saying was saying. Um, the opposite in our context would be, uh, live by the sword, die by the sword. he uh, are saying, you live by the scale, die by the scale. If you use good scales, you're gonna get more business okay? Uh, The better your scales, the more business you're going to get, okay? That's what he was saying. Essentially, Jesus was saying, if you measure fairly, you'll be treated fairly, and your business will grow. And now he applies this principle to listening to his teaching. People who listen to my teaching, they're going to grow even more. And the more they have, the more they listen, the more they're going to grow. But people who don't have you know, people who use faulty scales, they're going to have even less business. Same thing applies here. Those people who don't really want to grow, they're going to go backwards in their lives, is what he's teaching. So, as your outline says, those who want more truth will get stronger. Those who are not interested in the truth will get weaker. That's what he's saying. Those who want more truth, you're going to get stronger. Those who aren't interested in the truth, you're going to get weaker. Let's keep reading, verse 26 to 29. Another parable, the parable of the growing seed. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God's like. So again, what's he teaching? What's the truth? It's the truth is the nature of the kingdom of God. Here's what it's like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. So it's the parable of the growing seed. As Routline said, he's teaching God's kingdom is ultimately God's work. God's kingdom is God's work. It factors in human reception. Yes, we need to receive it. But once it's received, it's not about human intervention. God does his work in our hearts by his spirit. Secondly, letter B, God's power is invisibly to the human eye bringing about God's desired results. God's power is bringing about God's desired results. That's what he seems to be teaching here. The kingdom, it's it's like the seed. It's in the ground. You don't know how it works. You plant it, and it just does its work without your intervention. In the same way, the kingdom's like that. Once you receive the kingdom within your life, God goes to work inside of you. Verses 30 to verse 33. Once again, he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God's like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. By the way, strictly speaking, that's not true. But Jesus isn't teaching botany here, he, he, he said, teaching about the kingdom of God. And again, He's using a, a common Jewish Hebrew idiom. It, when people thought of tiny things, they said the mustard seed. Mustard seed's the smallest they could think of. Okay? So he's quoting the, the common vernacular here. It's like a mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants. See, it's a contrast here. Of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Okay? So as your outline said... The mustard seed was proverbial in Judaism for its smallness. It was proverbial in Judaism for its smallness. And he's teaching, B, God's kingdom may have small and seemingly insignificant beginnings, but it will grow into something great. It may have small and seemingly insignificant beginnings, but it's going to grow into something great. And then verse... uh, 33 to 34 says with many similar parables Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand that's again the same word acuo for here. he did not say anything to them without using a parable but when he was alone with his own disciples he explained everything so as your outline says with many similar phrase parables Jesus spoke the word to them This implies that this is only a sampling of Jesus' teaching. In other words, he's saying, this isn't the exhaustive teaching of Jesus. This is is a sampling. With many others, he spoke. I'm not quoting them all. This is just a sample. So this is a sampling. He taught many more things. B, he didn't say anything to them without using a parable. That's clearly an exaggeration. That's what's called hyperbole, an exaggeration to make a point. What about the Lord's Prayer? What about the Beatitudes? Those weren't parables. So he he was just exaggerating, is what he's saying. C, as much as they could understand. Your outline says, Jesus understood his audience, and he taught on their level. Jesus understood his audience, and he taught on their level. By the way, just hit the pause button there for a second. As you've heard me mention a couple times in our Vision Cast Sundays, we seek to follow this philosophy at our ministry at Broadway Church the 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 thinking is when i stand in in our services and preach i en- envision that i am like jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, speaking to a crowd of people. And in that crowd is everything from the front row, the disciples, to the back row, the Roman centurions. And in the Pharisees, usually sit over about here. I'm just kidding. The the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, there's farmers, there's everything in between. From apostles in the front row to Roman centurions, and the Pharisees and the Herodians in the back row, and everything in between. All different levels of understanding. And I have the challenge like Jesus did on the Sermon on the Mount to communicate to them in a way that all of them can understand. And then these classes like this or our midweek ministries are for the people who come afterwards and say, what about this? What about that? I want to know more. And the CE classes and our midweek studies and so on are for the disciples who, who really want to know more. They've heard and they're intrigued and they're responding to the word of God. And it's your, res- it's your responsibility to grow. It's not my responsibility to grow you. It's your responsibility to grow. It's my responsibility to feed you. But every parent knows you can set the table, but your kids have to eat it. And your kids turn up their noses sometimes, uh, even though you worked hard for that meal. But they turn up their noses, but you know that they need that for their diet. You know. Well, it's similar in pastoring. But this is our philosophy of ministry. In our Sunday services, we do our best to preach to a crowd of people. Everything from people who this is their first time ever in a church to people who have been in a church for 60, 70 years. And everything in between. And we have 30 minutes to communicate a truth to all those people in a way that they can all understand. That's our challenge every service. And these classes are where you have a chance to come back and say, I want to dig deeper. I want to know more. Okay. Finally, letter D. Mark is emphasizing Jesus' private instruction to the disciples. He's slowly and steadily unveiling God's kingdom to them. He's slowly and steadily unveiling God's kingdom to them. All right. Any questions about what we learned today? I went through it quickly, I realize. I apologize for that, but I need to get it all in before 11. Any questions about what we learned today? All right. Well, we'll continue on next week in, uh, as Jesus calms the storm. God bless you. Thanks for being here today.